New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and I am excited to talk Major League Soccer Week 2 with my two fine co-hosts, who I'm going to assume have only recently finished watching the games from this weekend because there were several to keep an eye on. Hello, Joe Lowry. How are you, my friend? Hello, Taylor. I'm still not all the way done. The joke is on you. It's only Tuesday morning, my (laughs) time, so I give myself at least until Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening. But we are most of the way there, far enough along, I hope at least, that we can have a good chat. I have I have questions. But before I ask those questions, I will introduce our other co-host. Hello, David Goss. How you doing, buddy? The question that I have is if uh-huh. myself and Joe Larry didn't watch an MLS game at any mm. point, did, did that actually game actually happen? happen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Look at the synergy already, Taylor. <laughs> it's just it is my question now, did it? Which is uh, a segue into with so many games going on, how do you all sort of like genuinely keep track of teams or honestly like do you not is it sort of an evolving thing where you try to watch different teams different weeks to get a good idea of everybody as a whole or are you watching the teams that sort of dominate the narrative for that weekend joe do you have a perspective on that yeah, so I try to keep up with everybody as equally as I can. I'm I'm not going to lie. By the time the summer rolls around, like the the number of teams that I'm watching will have dipped a little bit and I'll be catching up more on highlights and and you know reading other stuff and trying to piece together what happened without maybe sitting through 90 minutes, but at the start of the year, you know, I'm I'm trying to take notes on everybody. I'm trying to keep up to date on everybody and I I kind of have to for a number of the different stuff that that I do and that we do here on the show. So I try on Saturdays to watch. There's there's been an early game, early afternoon, or mid afternoon, sort of my time game. I've watched that one in its entirety. Then you get in and you watch the next time slot all the way through. And then uh, you've already got a new set of games that started at halftime of the other games. And then that cycle repeats until the end of time. It feels like. So I try. We talked about this a little bit in the pre-show. I try to watch games in their entirety. MLS 360 is not for me in that regard. It's a good product but I, I can't really get a good feel for what's happening that way. So I try to watch maybe four or five games as close to completion as I can on Saturday, catch as many games as I've got time for on Sunday afternoon and evening, and then uh, I try to play catch up the rest of the week. Goss, is that about your approach as well? Yeah, I, I'm still learning on this new schedule style. Like I kind of, last few years, it actually had been much more random. So you were like readjusting every week and and figuring out sort of how you were going to go about it. But I think I'm I'm in a similar spot to Joe. Like this weekend, I said St. Louis Charlotte is the big game, so I'm going to watch that game in its entirety. So I watched half of a game that led it, you know, leading into that um, on Eastern Time, seven thirty. Then I watched that full game, 
And then I rolled over and, and started watching one of the 9.30 kickoffs second half and then into the 10.30 kickoffs second half as well. And then on Sunday, I, I actually probably consume more than I do on Saturday because that's your chance to sort of catch up and and get through the games, especially right now where there aren't Sunday games or last week there was one. Um, but I kind of had always watched games afterwards. I don't consume multiple games well. Like it's not really how my brain works. So forever on match nights, I had then gone back throughout the week and I watch games as I go through the week. Um, and as Joe said, I try and be even, but there's definitely things that interest me. So there will be teams that have things going on that interest me, you know, a new player, trying a new formation, a bounce back in form, like stuff like that. And that's sort of how I power rank the games that I'm going to watch. Or as Joe mentioned, there are sometimes teams that slowly go out of your consciousness and I probably will pick a game with two that are in it first that I care about or, you know, want to know about before I'll go to a game with a team that either I feel really comfortable with um, against a team that I don't need to feel as comfortable with. Or if I feel really comfortable with both teams, I'll pick a different game that maybe matches up two teams that I have interest in. Or, you know, I think specifically like next week, right? Seattle playing Cincinnati. I have a ton of questions about Seattle against a team like Cincinnati. So that would be a game I would make sure to start my weekend with or start my week with to, to sort of catch up and, and see what that looks like. And are you both watching at normal speed? I'm very interested in how you all sort of process and uh, digest everything. Joe, you're the one who first put me on to Google Chrome having the... I didn't even uh, know this was an option. Feature. Oh, Oh, well, I watched uh, – I said this on Sunday uh, or on Monday uh, that I watched the, the Manchester United 7-0 loss uh, after knowing the score, which, which he loved. super fun. Gosh, loved which it. he absolutely loved. <laughs> and it was thrilled. But, but I did do the expedited rewatch, so I think I did the 90 minutes in about 70 minutes, like yeah. pausing Ooh. along the way to sort yeah. of take notes and rewatch things in regular speed. But, Joe, it does – it's interesting that, number one, it does let you get through it faster. It also – like you can sort of see the way they're setting up because they move so quickly. It's like a flock of birds that they sort of flock <laughs> to one direction and flock to another. Yeah. And you can get their shape – much more easily somehow. So I, I'm wondering if that's the thing I guess Joe does and Goss does not, given that Goss well, didn't well, know that technology exists. And to, to add one thing on that, though, yeah, Goss, it's a it's a lifesaver. It was a lifesaver, though, with MLS games because you can't do it in the Apple TV interface, at least through the app. I haven't tested no. out. Maybe there's a way to do it other places. You can adjust the playback speed. At least this is how my setup currently works. Maybe a listener out there knows a way to fix this, in which case, please tell me my weekends will thank you forever. <laughs> but you can change the playback speed watching on your phone. But I still do not really care to watch a 90-minute soccer game on my yeah. phone. On, and you can only change it to 1.5 speed or, or 2 speed, so 2x, which is not great. I'd rather be in like the – this sounds so stupid, but I promise you'll notice the difference. Like 1.2, 1.3 region oh and be able to skip 10 seconds at a time. <laughs> and all of those features outside of the skipping 10, 10 seconds at a time have been ripped away from me on, uh, on my laptop. So I'm in, a, I'm in a tough spot right now, Taylor. Thank you for asking. Thank you for letting me share my new pain um, because I'm hoping that at some point we'll be able to adjust the speed on on a computer, but I don't think you can do that outside of screen mirroring, which is just kind of janky. Uh, I asked you a nice, thoughtful question because I am then going to sandbag sandbag you by putting you on the spot by asking Joe. There are games you have not yet watched. Who is yep. the team that you have maybe put <laughs> off watching from this weekend? I'll confess. I'll confess. I got no problem doing it. Uh, the New York Red Bulls nil nil draw with Nashville SC, same. where about zero <laughs> chances were created. Uh, I, I haven't found it in myself to watch it yet. I looked at some of the stats. I've watched some of the clips. 
I will go through on a 2X screen mirror watch. Let me tell you that right now and catch that at some point. That's probably going to be a Wednesday afternoon job for me at this point. But uh, yeah, Goss, I'm glad at least we're, we're kind of on the same page yeah. there. So we probably won't talk about that game that much. Oh, I have, yeah. I have like an entire page of notes. I'm I have sure a ton you of do. detailed questions. Uh, but, you know, if you guys aren't prepared to t- talk about that, <laughs> we don't we'll have to. <laughs> We're happy to ride your coattails anytime. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want to be the gentleman host and keep us rolling. Uh, Gus, what, what game do you want to talk about? What, what would you say was the biggest game of the weekend? I'm going to assume St. Louis will be involved. Yeah, that was the biggest game of the weekend. Um, it was the biggest moment. And I think we've sort of come to like the expansion teams are unique and fun and new in Major League Soccer. And everyone always gets excited about them. And for the most part, over the last few years, they deliver. And this was different than other years, which is they had the stadium. Like Nashville, we saw they debuted in a football stadium. And then they did a stadium debut later on. And we've seen other teams do something similar. Miami's still waiting. Um, NYCFC is still waiting. So it takes a little while sometimes. But for this one, it was like 97% not the soccer. It was the moment. It was the experience. It was the stadium. It was the crowd. It was the atmosphere. And then I think most of us have leaned on the history, right? And what St. Louis means to soccer in the U.S. And then what this moment means. And I think we have a, an ability. And by we, I mean people that I work with at Major League Soccer to elevate MLS into a stratosphere that other things don't equal. Like there was a good USL team in St. Louis over the last few years. There was an NASL team. Like there is soccer. There has been soccer in St. Louis. We can't say that soccer returned, but at this level, uh, and when I say this level, I mean the professionalism of what you saw, right? The building that was built, the training facility that's built, the marketing that's been done, the concert that was held the night before, like, this was on a level of an NBA, NHL, NFL, MLB team. The way it's being treated and the way it's being built, that has not existed in this market ever. And this is still a market that produces talent. It's still a market that is soccer heavy. And so it, it's exciting to have seen that come to fruition. And I think I felt pretty good for a lot of people I've met over the course of my time. I don't have the personal experience with it that much. I've been to St. Louis more often than I probably would like to have been, but it's a great city anyway, and it's fine, but I don't have that emotional <laughs> connection to it. Um, but it, it was, I, I think it was the coolest thing that happened so far in MLS. Oh, at Empire Goss on Twitter. That's I right, know. isn't it? Just to, My sister just to went to sure college there, and it was before I was drinking age the whole time. So it was a lot. Of, I've been up the arch like a lot. You only okay. need to really do it once. Right, right. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I see that. I mean, yeah, I, uh, to, to jump on the back of that, not the hating of St. Louis, the city. Um, I've never been. I'm sure it's lovely. In fact, I'd love to go up the arch, actually, as many times as they'll let me. I thought this was, this was hands down the biggest game of the weekend to see St. Louis come out at home with that crowd so loud, so energized, so engaged in that game. Some of the pictures coming out of this was, was huge and to get the win, right? I mean, it's not, it's not so fun if you don't win. That's this sport, especially in your first ever home game to do that for St. Louis City. I thought was massive and to do it the way they did it where, you know, they let in a, a pretty simple goal from Enzo Capetti, which made Ryan Bailey happy that, that he finally got on the scoreboard. And then fight back from that, I thought was was absolutely massive. They take advantage of a couple of different mistakes. But when you watch how this team's playing under Bradley Carnell, there is no team in MLS right now that's better equipped to force you into mistakes. Even the ridiculously absurd ones that we've seen, 
from Austin FC and from Charlotte FC now. I mean, this team is miserable to play against. They look just awful, especially in this game, to have to be in a match against them for 90 minutes. It, it's extremely difficult to really withstand a lot of the pressure that we, we saw St. Louis really throw out there against Charlotte. So credit to St. Louis for getting the three points. Now they're up to six points on the year. I did not expect that to happen. And credit to the crowd and everything else that's gone into bringing this team to this city. It all pretty much paid off on Saturday night. The St. Louis data analyst job is easy. It's look at the ages of the starting defenders on the opposing team and just wait for them to pass it back to you at some Correct. point because it was Keller and it was Keller and Melanda, the two um, young guys. I will say Capetti, I, I don't know if you guys noticed this. There was a moment in this game where he thought he got taken down for a penalty, um, didn't get the call, stood up, fought with Roman Berkey, walked back into the play, then went down for a fake injury, and while laying on the ground, couldn't decide if he was doing the sub motion or the VAR motion, so he just did both, laying on the ground, staring at his bench, and <laughs> proceeded right. to get booed for the next 70 minutes. This guy has perfect villain hero status, because yes. to be a villain, you also need to be a hero for someone else, so that there is like the good and bad, and there's arguments around you, right? If you're, if you're, a, if you're a six who just breaks legs, like no one's really coming to bat for you. And so for Capetti to score the goal and already start his villain campaign in Major League Soccer was beautiful. Who are the like definitive MLS villains? Because I feel like I'd have to go back to like Rafa Marquez's days to think of one that jumps out really loud in my head. I'm sure there's other ones. Mike Pecky, probably not that popular with certain fan bases, but very popular with his own. I mean, Diego Chara is that six who breaks legs, but I mean, Portland, all of Portland will go to bat for him and the rest of Major League Soccer will do the exact opposite. The other one is is Joseph Martinez. I was kind of thinking about that. I think in Atlanta, very much revered still, even after now going down to play for Inter Miami. But I mean, Orlando and the power of Orlando fans absolutely hating him and now still getting that synergy that he's in a, a fellow Southeast team now in Florida. I think that's a good one. Goss, you got any other ones? Ozzy Alonso, I think, held that status for a while to the point that when he went to Minnesota and played well, it was like I saw like open therapy sessions of like I hated him and now I don't type stuff about dealing with him. And then Seattle fans having to like re-resurrect their feelings on him. He will at some point return from injury maybe for Atlanta. So he's still sort of in the league. Um, I think Jose Martinez is reaching that status for Philadelphia, and he's happy to. I think Tati was in that place as well before mm. he left. Um, and then, and Tati's one of those where it's like, it's that Capetti thing where it's like, he's a great player that his player, his fans go to bat for. And when he talks trash and then you score, it's, it just elevates all of those moments of like, you know, Back fans being like, I don't yep. know what, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> Uh, is there a chance the entire St. Louis team will end up being a villain for their opponents, given how much they're running and uh, pressing? Feels that way. Feels that way. I mean, this team, this team is chaotic. They are energetic. They are, like I said, I think they look miserable to play against. And I even thought we saw it's early in the year, and I don't think we should be making grand sweeping tactical judgments yet, or really grand sweeping judgments in any way about these teams. Joe Lowry but I thought we says saw they will win the <laughs> as he's about to do it. Right. Down. The, yep. mo- the, mo- <laughs> the most yep. prestigious trophy in Major League yep. Soccer. Thank of you. Of course, um, as we all know. 
you know, in, in week one, it was more of a 4-2-3-1. You had Ostrak as the, the number 10 underneath Klaus, best name in Major League Soccer. Gosh, I hope that group chat was popping uh, with, with you all <laughs> over the weekend. Uh, you had him underneath Klaus. In this game, it was much more of a 4-2, I thought, with Ostrak as one of those dual attacking midfielders underneath Nico Joachini, U.S. men's national team legend, and, uh, and Klaus. So I thought we saw some, some tweaks there, and I thought we saw this team just ratchet the intensity up to 11. I'm impressed that we've already seen two similar but slightly varied looks from St. Louis from week one to week two. Again, they're getting fortunate. They won't be this fortunate all season long. But as far as a start to life in Major League Soccer for an expansion team goes, I do not think you could have asked for a better start than this one. And with Yeah, go ahead, Gus. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say um, MLS can be a dumb league at times, especially over the course of the summer. And now you, we don't know how League Cup will affect competitive sides like we don't know if that will take teams out of their flow, if it will put, you know, playoff cup teams sort of on into their zone earlier in the season. Like we have no idea what a lot of this will mean. Um, but when you stack points, like you play from a, a point of strength. If you are a playoff team defending a playoff spot, it is easier, especially when you can go and play the teams that are chasing you and one point is a victory for you. And so it for St. Louis – there's a lot we can talk about, but just getting points is a really safe way to start your your expansion campaign. I want to have a broader conversation about their expansion campaign in a moment. First, I wanted to ask you all, like my, my original question was, if people are watching St. Louis to see how fast Klaus is, how disappointed are they going to be? Uh, but like for you all, is he as slow as I think he is? Because I, I, I struggle to think of a less mobile looking forward than like maybe Zlatan with the Galaxy. Uh, but at the same time, with the intensity and the pressing, maybe I am just overlooking his efforts. But he uh, he looks very deliberate in in his running is how I'll put that, Joe. Yeah, uh, yes, that's well said, Taylor. You're delicately phrasing that one. He doesn't seem particularly fast or even athletic in a straight line speed kind of way. I don't have the numbers. All that beautiful day that we had last year through Second Spectrum is, no, I was is gone. Say, now. I don't RIP. Know. So it's it's hard to say for sure. But he doesn't look fast. He doesn't look particularly inclined to beat you for pace. But I will say he works hard, right? And I think when you're playing out of this system your ability to move and to run in conjunction with the other players that are going to be tight behind you in that that pressing net, which is kind of what Jesse Marsh calls it, you know, you don't always have to be the fastest guy if you're taking the right angles, if you're moving in the right way, and you're moving with your teammates alongside you. So, you know, that was one of my questions, Taylor, about St. Louis coming into this year. The big question is, you know, was this style, this aggressive front foot style, pressing, built on transitions and, and chaos, was it going to be enough to turn this group into more than the sum of their parts? Sort of as a sub-question underneath that, it's, you know, can Klaus function well in a pressing system, and can he deliver, right? Because you go through and look at his career, he hasn't scored a lot of goals at particularly high levels. Now he's doing both of those things. It seems like he's functioning well in the press, and he's he's getting on the score sheet as well. I've I've been very impressed by him to start the season. I think his physicality rattles players. I think that's what happened with Melanda. Like, I think Melanda got caught up in the physical battle with him and then lost some of the other parts of his game. And so I think that sort of like, if you're not the fastest player, what else do you bring? And he, I think, is elite on that level. So he has other things he brings to the game. And there's a level of the Bambi on ice look, which is sometimes guys look slower than they are because of the way they move. But like... As a defender, me, I always felt like if I could physically touch an attacking player, I'd win the battle. Like I could control things if I could touch them. And then if you have a fast 
attacking player and you can't get in physical contact with them, they can control sort of the stage you're playing on. Um, Klaus feels like the opposite, which is if you make contact with him, he will win that battle. It doesn't, it's not always the same way. He's not always going to back you down. He's not always going to spin you, but it feels like there's so many tools in his toolbox of how he uses your contact and how he battles you that if you engage him, he's already won. So that's going to be something that St. Louis can use, I think, all year as an advantage. I was going to ask that. Do you feel like they are already sort of structuring their team to uh, best utilize that ability? Yeah, and I think you saw it. Like, um, you mentioned Joe Acchini, who didn't start the first game, I thought was really good off the bench, started this game. He's probably not a national team player, but he's a good soccer player. And you can see why he was in Europe. Like, his ability, his touch, his vision, and... You, you saw a lot of one-twos, a lot of movement from him, where Klaus is going to be the guy who draws center backs, who stabilizes who you play off of. And then Lovin, um, Stroud, Alm, whoever these guys are, it's going to open up lanes for them to use. And I think you saw that in this game. And then you see that in any of their crosses. Every ball that's put across the box, all of the attention's going to Klaus. And I think you're going to see a lot of back post goals for other guys because Klaus is drawing two center backs. We're going to keep talking about St. Louis and Charlotte in just a second. First, a quick break. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Broker dealer. We are back, Joe. Before we went to break, your screen started flashing. Uh, were you watching a light show, or w- w- what? Uh, what's the uh, what's the change going on? So every once in a while, uh-huh. my uh, my backup software, my computer tells me that I need to back up my computer. And as a very uh-huh. responsible human being, I just click later of over course, and yeah. over again until yeah, again yeah. until the end of time. So that's what that was. It's a bright white light <laughs> little box that pops up, and I just click later because that's there a thing go. for later. We're doing a show right now. It just doesn't understand. Uh, that's professionalism at its finest. It really yeah, was it just as I was listening to Goss, suddenly Joe had like a, yeah. a, a rave happening on his screen very briefly. Uh Going back to this game for a moment, or specifically St. Louis for a moment, sure. uh, as an expansion franchise, I think my expectation was that they would be more 
similar to Cincinnati when they first started to Charlotte when they first started of a team that sort of is going to find themselves as the season goes on. Maybe this first season is about sort of establishing the footprint, uh, figuring out what's working, what's not working, and then maybe building from there. It, it feels at this point like they've already got a pretty solid foundation and a yeah. clear idea of how they want to play. Is there an expansion team, Joe, that you think we can sort of look to as a reference for St. Louis? Or do you feel like they're kind of doing their own thing at this point? Well, they are doing their own thing in their own way. I think stylistically, they are a little bit further along than most expansion teams we've seen in recent seasons. So that that's a credit to them for having a clear vision between Lutz and between Bradley Carnell and now between the types of players that are going out and identifying. I, I do kind of think that if we're looking for a comparison, it it is Charlotte FC. Because you think about the the types of domestic players they're going after, nobody that's particularly established in this league in a big way. Tim Parker is probably the biggest on that front, but I don't think he's a, always a game-changing center back in Major League Soccer. That kind of rules out Nashville from the comparison standpoint because of how hard they, they went on the, if not domestic, then MLS experience to the high-level route. Charlotte also kind of snagged some of those those similar tier players that St. Louis has gone after. And then they went after internationals that aren't big box stars. Yeah. So that, that takes Inter Miami out of the equation if we're looking to, to scratch other teams off. And and then for, for St. Louis, they've already been better and seem to be more coherent than Minnesota United, who was dreadful coming into this league, and then Cincinnati. Taylor, you, you mentioned finding themselves as the year went on, as maybe as year three went on, right? <laughs> yeah. I think for Cincinnati, it was, it was a long process. I don't think we're looking at that timeline with St. Louis. Gus, what do you think? I know the stylistic thing isn't right for Charlotte, but a lot of the things do seem to be familiar to me. I, th- I think Charlotte's fair. The one you skipped was Nashville, which is the first one that comes to my mind, because... It's not about the style. Said, I think you said they went hard at like prime Americans or prime domestic players. So yeah, right. Like, oh, I don't know, but Yeah, I think so, so. Right with Dax and with Godoy, and and I think that is your core is fair. is a lot different roster building than what St. Louis have done. Keep but going. the similarities are one the commitment to us style. Yes, because true, that's true. sort of what in my mind that's what a lot of those expansion teams you just named lost, which was like. You had multiple cooks in the kitchen in weird time periods, right? Because you start, did you hire your coach first, your sporting director first? What was the clear identity? And then you get stuck into an expansion draft where you don't have your options. And so I think a lot of the teams you mentioned didn't have, I mean, Miami didn't have a coach until like two weeks before the season started. FC Cincinnati didn't have people who had ever been to a soccer game before in part of their uh, setup to building that club. And some of the other teams you mentioned there as well. So that to me is the most similar. And the other piece is the way they use the lower division. So Nashville had three years of buildup where Gary yeah, Smith was a USL coach. And those players are not difference makers at the MLS level. They're, they shouldn't, as we saw with Cincinnati, probably even maybe all the time be starters. But you had an, a time to build in a back end of a roster that understood your soccer DNA and your identity and build a culture that you brought star players into. And that's what St. Louis did. They ran an MLS Next Pro team last year. Lutz Fannenstein has been there for over a year. Um, and Bradley Carnell has also been there for a year. He didn't coach the MLS Next Pro team, which I thought was really odd, but they had him sort of as like, uh, a, you know, a consultant helping out in that while building the MLS roster. And so those are the parts to me that are most similar that when – you ask about Nashville's success, those are the things I'd point to, and those are the things St. Louis is also doing. So there's elements of what Charlotte did 100% in this group, and I think while St. Louis has started with two wins, I do think their roster will change throughout the season, and that's one of the things we saw from Charlotte, which is 
you can't build it for day one because you don't know 100% of what you need. So you need to leave wiggle room to be able to spend money, use allocation money in trades to add as the season goes along because you're not ever going to 100% know how this guy will react to MLS or how the players will react together. And I think that part of Charlotte is also very similar. Uh, final St. Louis question. Uh, I feel like more for Goss than for Joe. How aggrieved should I feel that Nelly was not involved in that uh, opening of the season concert? Like Anderson Pac apparently there, a lot of different DJs from St. Louis, a lot of the different uh, hip-hop acts. No St. Lunatics, no Nelly. Goss, how you feel about that? Nelly doesn't come out until the biggest possible moment. I'm it's, it's, that's how it, it's, he, he's, it's the Nelly Groundhog. He only comes exactly. out for certain events. That's exactly. when they wheel him out. Okay, cool. Got it. And I would say there's a better chance that Nelly plays for this team because, as we know, Nelly's such a great athlete. Right. And he does end up being a performer for them. I've seen the Rock and Jock MTV performances. I know what he's capable of. You never he know. Was, Maybe he will be a high-pressing forward for them by the end of the season. He was the star of the remake of The Longest Yard, which was a horrendous movie. Oh, yes, he was. But wow. he made a great song for it, and that's why I appreciate it. And Joe, all these references, I'm assuming, right in your wheelhouse? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally tracking. <laughs> I'm right there along with you guys. I was about to jump in, but then you flipped it to me, so now I'm, I'm scattered. It's a mm. tough world right now. Joe just kicked back with his Air Force Ones showing in the video. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he definitely did that. He wasn't staring blankly at the screen at all while we were having that conversation. Uh, Joe, speaking of, of, of Charlotte for a moment, uh, reading your power or panic rankings, definitely not power rankings, your panic meter, I believe you had them as the most uh, panicky team right now. I think you've got them at an eight out of ten yeah i'm i'm concerned for charlotte fc not that they can't fix this squad over time but the squad needs fixing and that was pretty blatantly obvious before the season started especially when you look at the wide areas and it is just as obvious if not more so after two weeks of the season they had chances to go at st louis here they had chances to to really break them down out wide that for me is going to be the biggest weakness of bradley carnell's team based off of what we've seen so far in 2023 but when your wingers are Camille Josviak, a player who's still never scored in Major League Soccer as a designated player coming over from the, the championship, and uh, Swiderski, who's a, a number nine or maybe a second forward who's playing on the right wing, like, I don't, I'm not really sure what, what Charlotte are doing at this point. The, the midfield is fine. The wide areas are bad. Like, Capetti seems to be a good player. I'm not sure if he's going to be a game changer because I don't think the service is going to be there. I just think there are massive holes in this squad that were not addressed, partially because they don't have the the money or the flexibility to go do it because of previous mistakes that have been in with this roster. They're going to be a serviceable team this year. I mean, they finished, I think, ninth in the East last year. That feels about right, maybe lower for this team in, in 2023. But right now, with the way things are going and with the way this roster has been built, I, I do not think they have any sort of high ceiling in the East. The sad part is ninth is a playoff. Yeah. Yeah. So if they can, if they can just maintain, they've now earned their spot into the postseason by surviving as a franchise for more than one year. Um, I, I understand Joe's concerns. I think they're equal to their level from last year. And I think being that over the course of a year will, you know, obviously they, once Latanzio took over, they were already behind the eight ball last year. I know they've lost their first two games, but, you know, you went to an expansion team in their first game, and that's sort of an unfair um, situation for you because if St. Louis falls off, other teams are going to look at that as a potential point on the road. Um, but I'm not that worried about this Charlotte team. I think the spine is pretty good. I think goalkeeper is a bit of an issue for them, um, clearly, in Cisniega now taking over and struggling. But I, I don't worry heavily about this team compared to some other 
MLS teams that have struggled out the gates. Who do you worry about then? I feel like other nominees would be Houston, Vancouver, maybe Montreal. But to Joe's point, we sort of don't know certain things. We don't know what we don't know about Charlotte, whereas I feel like we know what we don't know about Montreal. That's a lot of tautologies in a very short order, Gus. Uh, which, which team would you be most concerned about from what you've seen so far? So Houston, hands down. And I think for Houston, you look at a team that is a bit hamstrung in making moves as well because this is a uh, front office and ownership group that took over a project that had long-term contracts that they have to get off of and they're sort of locked into players, but they rolled their dice with a, a, a franchise record designated player and it hasn't worked yet. Now they've played two games on the road, so it's MLS, right? You have to give them their time and their advantage should come in the summer when it's hot to go down and play in Houston and they're used to it. Um, but... This is a roster that looks like it's at a disadvantage every time it steps on the field. And there are not force multipliers out there where you can say, yeah, but Ache Ache is the best player on the field. That hasn't been the case yet. Yeah, I, I would hit back on that slightly. I think when you look at the difference between Houston and Charlotte, you look at the similarities first. I, I think both teams lack quality out wide. You know, really, Franco could be that guy. Maybe it's Bassey. Both of those are new signings for Houston. We haven't really seen it yet. I think they are both at a disadvantage pretty much every time in those fullback versus winger battles. I look at the midfield, though. I think uh, I think Houston's midfield is potentially game-changing in this league. We saw them give Cincinnati a lot of problems in Week 1. Hector Herrera has not looked 100%, or at least he certainly didn't look that way against New England, and that team loses 3-0. Too much of this team really does fall on Hector Herrera. Too much of their success or, or failure hinges on him. But, I mean, you got Coco Carasquilla, who I think is an excellent midfielder in this league. Artur gives you the ability to control games. I don't think the Houston Dynamo are a, a good team right now, but I see more potential with them because they have more difference makers straight up, in my mind at least, than Charlotte. Neither team, though, to be clear, are in a particularly good place right now. Yeah, I would take Charlotte's center backs and center forward over Houston's. And so I think let's you're do, right let's about Let's do a draft. Let's do a yeah. draft. I'll take Steve Clark then in goal. I think. Listen, yeah, if we put stuff. together a team, they'd be pretty good. Your hope would be if you combine <laughs> two MLS teams, they'd be the best team in the league. Otherwise, the roster build is pretty bad. On the Montreal point, by the way, I, I, there is a worry that they replaced a lot of what they lost, but nothing at the number 10 position. The assumption was the kids would take over. And if you're assuming there's another Ismail Kone, I think that's um, that's a dangerous way to go right now in MLS. I don't think the academies are built out well enough to guarantee a level of player who is a World Cup player as a teenager. And none of them, it seems like, are true creative players. So... What you had in Mihailovic, which Kone was able to fill in for when Mihailovic was out with injuries last year, it feels like they've completely lost that number 10 position. And now they're sort of adrift in who's going to create goals for them. I want to ask about Houston uh, for both of you. This is maybe obvious for people who uh, can easily go into MLS weeds. For somebody like me who is trying to better my understanding, did they bring Ben, ben Olsen in as a coach because with DC United he showed a willingness to work with a roster that isn't always going to have a ton of money behind it and a ton of talent? is, Or are there things about his philosophy, his coaching style that you think appeal to them? Joe, uh, your thoughts? Uh, I I don't have a lot of strong feelings about Ben Olsen coaching in Major League Soccer at this point. I think I if you're like Houston... this is as, as, as scathing as Joe Lowry can be, <laughs> is saying that what he just said. I don't have a strong opinion. <laughs> yes. it, ju- it just feels like, it feels like this is Houston trying to find themselves in Major League Soccer. They know that the roster is not good enough right now. 
They they got burned a little bit on the head coach hire last year with Nagamura. It didn't work out. I think they put him in a bad spot. Then you go interim for the rest of the season. Then you bring in a guy who's, who's going to try to right the ship and maybe make this group into something more than the sum of its parts. I, I mean, the roster is just not good enough. Like, I'm not really sure it matters who the head coach is right now, if they're going to compete or not. I, I just, I, I struggle to have a lot of energy to, to like really full on think about what this Dynamo team could be because it still feels like they're a good several transfer windows away from being that team. Goss, I don't know how you feel about this. I think they figured that in bringing in Nagamura, who had never coached before, and then sort of looking at the other options that they left points on the board because they didn't have a steady MLS experience in the team. And like if you, they, as Joe said, they're already at a talent disadvantage. If they leave those points on the board of like just understanding how to handle a week where you're going to the Pacific Northwest and then you're traveling home in the middle of the summer and like how your training sessions are set around that and who you're giving rest to and sort of what the little advantages are in playing on the turf at this stadium and grass at this stadium. I think they felt like they left a lot of that on the board. And so Ben Olsen is that. And as you said, he has gathered more than the sum of his parts, the parts at times at DC. And so listen, I will say this a lot. If you try really hard in every game in MLS, you're probably going to make the playoffs. Like teams float. They float in and out of what matters. Star players float. And so if you have teams that are built around DPs, if that player's off three times a season, like you're not going to win that game. So it, there is like a avenue to saying, if this guy can get this team to try really hard, we can like secure enough points to go forward. The other thing is, which I like completely blank on, is he is very young. And so there is a safe assumption not safe, but if you believe in him, you could say he has gotten better. Like, I believe he has gone out since he left DC and gotten better as a coach. That's what Pat Onset is saying. And so that's another thing. Um, and, and they've backed him up by, they brought in Brendan Burke. They paid a transfer fee for a coach out of USL who has built one of the better USL teams at Colorado Springs was part of the youth development, um, pipeline at Philadelphia Union that like broke Mark McKenzie and, Brendan Aronson through. So they've gone, I think, out and said, here are Ben Olsen's, you know, dark spots. This is where he isn't good and tried to fill that in. And so credit to them for like trying to build this coaching staff that can be successful. But I do think there's a level of acknowledgement in that saying, yeah, we don't think he's Bob Bradley, but we think he can help us in some ways and we can help him in others. Guys, in your opinion, what were those areas that Olsen needed to improve after leaving DC United? What were sort of the deficiencies in his coaching ability? I think a lot of people would say he doesn't he didn't define the game tactically to set the stage for his team. It was reactive. And that's sort of where you cross the line of teams that are hanging and teams that are dominating. And when you look at Philadelphia and you look at LAFC and you look at times at Seattle at their best and Toronto and Atlanta the great teams can define the game tactically and then you have to react to them. And then the elite level is you have wrinkles in there to react, you know, and continue to grow and progress throughout the game throughout the season. I don't think people felt that way with Ben Olsen. It felt more like survival week to week. And, um, and that's sort of the next level with him. Um, and we don't know if he's capable of that. And a lot of the conversation with him will come back down to like, well, could he have done it with the players he had? I believe you always can. Like, that's what we just did with St. Louis. And we've seen it with Red Bulls is if you have a clear identity, you fit the players into that. I don't think it's an excuse to say our players aren't good enough from a baseline. Okay, maybe you're not good enough to win Supporter Shield. That's fine. But I don't think it's 
acceptable to say we don't have an identity because our players aren't good enough. That's fair. My question then, moving to a different team, Joe, would be, does Sporting KC have the identity that they need? Do they have that defined approach? Because I know both of you were pretty high on them in the preseason. Goss had them finishing, I think, fifth. Joe, you had them third. Uh, not quite looking like uh, title Stand by your guns, Joe. Uh, right Love now. that, Joe. Stand oh, by. Oh, I'm, sta- I'm standing. I'm not being bullied off any of my preseason takes just yet. I mean, Kansas City absolutely do have the identity they need. Peter Vermees has one of the strongest tactical ideologies in the league. I think they're really good in that way. That's an advantage for them relative to a lot of the rest of the Western Conference. The problem with SKC right now, Taylor, is that they don't have any players, right? Like, all their players are hurt. All their difference makers are hurt, with the exception of a few here and there. Johnny Russell's been out. He hasn't played a second this season. Alan Polito's still dealing with injury. Gotti Kinda hasn't played yet. They're missing and have missed their number six. Their uh, their new center back signing, Danny Rosero, hasn't been playing. I mean, there's they're, they're missing like four or five starters at this point in the year, and I don't think there's another MLS team in the league that can really deal with that. Maybe a couple get closer than SKC. But between the talent that I think is going to be coming in with this team when those players are available and Peter Vermees's identity and, and the brand of soccer that he gives to this team and the clear way they want to create chances through possession, they want to deny chances through possession really as well. Like I think you put those pieces together. Yeah, it's going to take time, but you put those pieces together and this team is still absolutely one of the best in the Western Conference. They also haven't played a home game yet, which matters a ton. MLS is one of the most home away heavy leagues in the world and they started the season with two games on the road, one of which was snow delayed for two days, and then they came back and lost where they outplayed Portland, and then they go to Colorado, and I think they were probably the better team, if not even, and end up not finishing and getting a point. And as Joe said, I think Johnny Russell or Alan Pulido or maybe Gotti Kinda, one of them would have finished one of the chances that was out there for Casey, so I don't worry about them yet either. And, and Taylor, to the question of like, okay, they have a defined style, they they probably can't battle with a lot of MLS teams on pure um, money spent on foreign players, but they can find ones that fit their system because it's specific. And I think that's what you see with Eric Tommy. Like, I think he wore the captain's armband this weekend after being there for seven months. This is like a longtime injured winger out of Germany. He's a real turned, good. And they, yeah. They've turned him into a high level 10 in MLS. Um, and that's sort of the advantage they have. They're, the blind spot on center back is mind blowing of just not being able, and maybe it's the system, and maybe that makes it impossible to find high-level center backs. Maybe it's the money, but like they have failed at that position since Matt Beasler got drafted, and they continue to fail at that position. And Joe mentioned they made a signing last week from Columbia, a 29-year-old center back. My assumption is he will not work. Like That's where you have to start with SKC center backs. That's... That's a good thing for the front office to hear. I know. I'm sure, I'm sure they're loving that one. Uh, I, uh, Shockwall Shocks, am going to see them play Seattle I- I- in a couple weeks. So I'm hoping nice. that they've turned it around. Maybe they'll have signed a center back by then. I can deputize Sporting KC, Peter Vermees, although I think I am not emotionally strong enough to handle being screamed at. Are you going Peter to Kansas Vermees, or so Seattle? Uh, Kansas. I hope nice. they're playing in Kansas. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. Otherwise, I'm going to a game there on the TV. What's that? Have you been to a game there? Uh, no, this is my like fourth trip to Kansas City, my first uh, time seeing them play. I've been to Swell awesome. Park Rangers before. I'm pretty stoked, though. Oh, well, you already <laughs> checked off the big one. I mean, yeah. you got Swell Park before they, <laughs> before they cease to be called Swell Park. That's huge. I mean, Goss hates the Midwest, as we established earlier. So, yeah. Uh, I actually yeah. like KC. KC's a good city. Good. At Empire Goss, St. Louis yeah. people just dig in. Dig I think in. people from St. Louis will be the first to admit. The city is lacking in spots, but 
I've got some good food, so I appreciate that. Have you ever seen Escape from New York, Goss? No. The, like, like the 70s, 80s Carpenter ah, movie where... Goss hasn't seen it either. Uh, New York has turned into a prison colony? No, but I like that idea because it keeps everyone else out. Uh, I, all, all I was going to add is that John Carpenter uh, filmed in St. Louis and didn't have to use any set dressing, as I understand it, to make it look like a prison colony in New York. So there you go, St. Louis. That's my contribution for you. I hope you all enjoyed that one. On the that 70s note, was you- a long time ago. <laughs> That's true. That is true. It was a little bit of a different time. Uh, but I will uh, pause now for people to write their angry emails to David. What's your email again? It is um, T Rockwell. There it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Uh, listen, T Rockwell. I'm, period. That's it. That's it. I I feel like I came out on this wrong because I don't hate St. Louis as a city, mm-hmm. um, and I look forward to attending a game there, getting some Bosnian barbecue, and uh, eating some. I think there's really good Vietnamese food, if I remember correctly. There. Don't give me I your local references that. to engender yeah, goodwill. No, I'm I know not St. Louis. That here. I know St. Louis. Don't worry. <laughs> I know St. Louis. All right. Uh, we're going to take one more break, and then we'll be back to talk a few other teams in the league, as well as some Concacaf Champions League. Back soon. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat. Move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trap over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high-quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. In the break, Goss just on a rant about how much he doesn't like the Cardinals and the Blues. That felt very personal and very, very angry, David. Do you like the Cardinals? Uh, no comment. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we had three teams, uh, make their, not, not really, uh, make their, uh, their first appearance this weekend, play their first game. LAFC, LA Galaxy, and Chicago. Gus, thoughts on any of them in particular? LAFC looked really good. Um, I put, I picked them first in the West because last year I picked them eighth and I was wrong. And like, I picked them first in the West because John Thornton's clearly really good at his job and Steve Trundle are really good at his job. I did not look at this roster and think it's ready now. Uh, and I'm still unsure about what the overall build is this year. Is, you know, is Cifuentes going to be there long term? Is Palacios going to be there long term? Is Carlos Vela going to be there long term? And maybe how are they going to fill in the rest of the team? But I, after last year, had to come in with a level of belief in the people making those decisions that they can do it at a high level. And then... It sort of felt like to me, if they can hang at the beginning of the season, they'll probably get themselves right in the summer. But this was more than hanging. And I know they ended up having to hold on, I guess, hang on. So I probably messed that up. Um, but Apoku was fantastic. Carlos Vela played the best game I've ever seen him play in MLS as a, as a true nine. Uh, normally, he plays on the right wing cutting inside. He's played as a 10 successfully as well. This was the number nine in this game and he created for his teammates. He had chances himself, him and Apoku swap in and out of the right and left. Dennis Buanga, I think is going to be an MVP candidate in MLS. He again, looked that way, even though he didn't finish off uh, a, a couple of chances and their midfield looked just as good as it was last year. So I think LAFC, this was a really good start for them being delayed a week and all that stuff. I think this was a like flash to the league that we still are top dog in the West. Joe, agree, disagree. The the three goals of the three 0 lead, pretty solid start. Letting uh, Portland get two back in the final thirty, probably less solid. I'm not too concerned at the moment about LAFC's ability to hold on to leads. I mean, I, I guess they held on at the end of the day. I, I was impressed by them for the first sixty minutes, more so than I was disappointed in the last thirty. This team is is still really, really good. I I don't, I don't really think there's much more I need to add on that, but I will take us to another LA team and that's the LA Galaxy. I'm just getting out in front of this because I know it's coming. They lost 3-1 to FC Dallas on uh, on Saturday. I thought the Galaxy looked fine to good in every phase of the game except for defensive transition where they were abysmal in this match. They let in two goals in the second half straight up from those kinds of transition sequences and it was tough to watch a little bit I think if you're a Galaxy fan. So there's a lot of room for this team still to grow. At the same time I think it, it should be noted that they're missing probably three starters from where they'll be by the end of the transfer window in about six weeks. So they got the new right back coming in to replace Julian Araujo instead of, of that player we saw, Kelvin Leerdam, in this match. He's a, a backup in this league. There's likely a winger coming in as well to sort of supplement the core of really more attacking midfielders or half-space guys that aren't going to bring in a lot of, of verticality to this team. It was Efra Alvarez and Memo Rodriguez starting on the wings in this game, which did a good job of creating overloads in midfield. I love watching the way Efra pings that ball around. Like, I don't think he'll ever be what we thought he could be, but man, his technique is still so good. And Ricky Push, I mean, he is he's the guy that keys the goal sequence for the Galaxy. He is still the, the most talented, best player in this league. Not a complete performance from them, but between Puj, uh, really pulling the strings in the attack, you've got Dejan Jovalich getting a goal. 
as a goal-hunting number nine. And he's going to have to do a lot this year with Chicharito being injury-prone and, and a year older than he was last year, to state the obvious. So not a, not an altogether complete performance. Obviously, you lose this game 3-1 on the road to start the year. It's not a great beginning. But uh, I still think there's pieces here that are going to do well for this team. Here's the worrying thing about the LA Galaxy. The opening goal of this game wasn't a transition moment. The Galaxy turned it into a transition moment yeah. by not getting back defensively. I think basically on a free kick. And they're bad at transition defending. So they created a moment that they struggle with, which wasn't forced by the game, which is like, that's next level stuff. And that's a large part <laughs> of the reason I'm worried about this team. Um, and I, I think I agree with a lot of Joe said. I, I would say I didn't think Pooch got enough touches. And that's going to be a question mark for them is every team's going to focus on him. So how do you get him open? How do you get him in areas where he can hurt the game? Um, but this was a bad performance from the Galaxy. Everything I said about LAFC, this was the opposite. This was the Galaxy coming out and saying, people have confidence in us sometimes because we're the LA Galaxy, but don't worry, we are not. So this is who we are week one. Uh, so they are not yet the LA Galaxy that we've come to expect, which I'm guessing is why Goss had them finishing seventh. Joe, you had them right around that level as well, right? Yeah, def- definitely. No, I mean, I still think they're going to be better than seventh. I'm mm-hmm. not so sure they're going to be, what, I have them second in the in the West. I think... That is probably not where they're going to end up just because it's going to be a slower start to the year with new pieces coming in and all that stuff having to be sorted out. But I still think this team is going to be one of the better teams in the West by the time the season's over. And are you feeling that Saint, or excuse me, Chicago will be one of the better teams in the East, Joe? Ah, uh, no, just straight up. Let's let's get that out of the way now. I uh, I think things are pretty dire for the Fire already. I I left them out of that panic meter piece that I wrote for MLS because they've only played one game. It's too early. But throughout the course of this game, they struggled to deal with some of NYCFC's possession. Both of their central midfielders went down with with injuries and had to be removed from the game. And those aren't even their starting central midfielders because other central midfielders weren't fully fit and ready to go in this game. So it's uh, it's a weird time right now for the Chicago Fire. This squad looks pretty much just like the one that we saw be bad last year, just with less young talent. So... I know they're making moves. I know they're they're going out and, and signing some players. I know they bolster the number nine spot. I just I I just can't see a world where it's going to be anything but a, a pretty bleak year for the fire. Well, last year I said one of the issues was that Jairo Torres arrived to the season late, didn't get an opportunity to get comfortable, and he got hurt in the first half of the first game. So, and and, and he's also he's also playing as a, a defensive midfielder, which I think you go back through and watch the tape of his time in, in Mexico, and there's there's evidence for that. But like. Well, the the fee was big, wasn't it, Goss? I don't remember what the number was. It was it was relatively it was like big. F- I think it was like in the five million range, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I don't think if you're in, as a major league soccer team, if you're paying that number for a player that you don't really even know what to do with, and you're not sure if he ends up in central midfield, you're not sure for a fact that he's going to be a game changer, string puller, like dominant presence in the middle of the field for you. You should not be doing that deal. I know he's young. He's only 22 years old. There's still potential there, but he's injury-prone clearly, has never shown the ability in his time actually on the field to be a game-changer. And when you pay that much, like I know it doesn't doesn't really matter if the owners want to go out and spend that money and, and they got to give him the right tag on the roster. That stuff does matter. But the fee doesn't truly matter. But it's just like, I don't know, it seems to be question after question and miss after miss for the fire right now. Well, it it makes it easier that you can help that probably their two best under-the-radar moves over the last few years is having Pineda as a homegrown and Navarro as a pretty affordable D-mid. So the only position they've actually hit on is the one in which they are now moving their DP into. Right. 
Sounds good. Sounds like yeah. things are going really well. Sounds like I've sort of led us down a negative path. Uh, for either of you, as we come towards the conclusion of this show, are there teams that you're feeling more positive about so far? We could talk about Columbus. We could talk about San Jose. Uh, whoever you all want to, want to go with, Goss, uh, let's start with you. I have to start with Inter Miami because I picked them out of the play, well out of the playoffs. A ton of question marks for me in that they changed a ton from last year that I thought was good. And it seems like the roster is partially built on the potential acquisition of obviously Messi in the summer. And so you could tell me how good Messi is. It doesn't matter if he's not here. Like that's not a team that's going to be good. So he is good though. Just so you know, he is very good. Um, but like that's a dangerous way to build a team. Look at what happened in Toronto last year, right? They waited and waited and waited and it's not enough time for those players. And even if it is enough time, you're going to start the year behind. Um, and they've gotten two, six points from two games. They beat the Philadelphia Union at home. I don't think they are supporter shield contenders. I don't, I, I wouldn't say it was fluky. I don't think they've created a ton of chances. They've just been incredible with the ones they have. If you haven't seen it, go watch Robert Taylor's goal so good. from this weekend. It might be the goal of the year. It's He hits a clean volley on the top of the 18 through the ball because it pops up for him. Um, I don't think Robert Taylor is that player week in and week out. So this is a Miami team that got better. I think they improved the back line for sure. Um, but there's and, and I like Mota and Gregory as a pairing. Um, but there's still a lot of question marks there. But I had them like 12th in the East. They are clearly bet. If this is their baseline and they're going to add a DP in the summer, like they should only get better. So Goss positivity for inner Miami. Joe, where's your positivity? I'll take San Jose. You tossed it out earlier. I'll finish this alley up home, baby. I, I've really enjoyed what Luigi Gonzalez has done to this San Jose Earthquakes team. They've made a couple of moves in the offseason, most importantly signing Carlos Carrezo, who we talked about a bit last week in that really heartbreaking loss to Atlanta United. And it wasn't even to Atlanta. It was just to Almada's right foot. That's essentially what the loss was to. This team, I think, is is genuinely good. Like I think what they've showed so far through two games, being the better team on the road in Atlanta, being the better team at home, and having to fight back from a, a really nice goal sequence from Vancouver, who I'm feeling more positive on than I think most folks are right now, even though life might be getting a bit harder for them with CCL stuff uh, kicking off this week. San Jose, for me, have been one of the most impressive teams so far this year. Not that they are one of the best teams this year, but relative to where they've been in the past and relative to a lot of preseason expectations, I think they have, they've been very good. Belbusi gets a goal in this game. Some nice goal sequences, uh, some nice passing sequences, excuse me, leading up to, to shots. You get the, the goal from Acapo off the bench. That comes from, on the broadcast at least, what we could see as a nine-pass sequence in the attacking half. Just good soccer from the Quakes. I don't think they're world beaters right now, but they are fun to watch. I wrote about this earlier this week. They're fun to watch. They're competent. And we really haven't been able to say that about the Quakes for a long time. Yeah, if you're a Quakes fan, like you showed up to that game, you're coming back, right? You showed up. They delivered. It was fun. It's a great goal. Like that's something San Jose hasn't really been able to sell to their own fan base, let alone new fans. For a while, I think that's really exciting. Can I just throw two more in at the back end of this? I would say Dallas. Dallas is a team that I was really high on. Yes, I know I can. mocked parts of the Galaxy, but FC Dallas was very good. And for Jesus to score and Alan Velasco to score and Paul Ariola to create chances, like that's the confidence that they started last year with. And I think Nkosi Tafari stepping into the starting lineup at center back for them is the future. And so to have him out there and win and play well – that bodes really well for them. And Columbus is the other one. Mm-hmm. I think Wilfred Nance, we saw the first wrinkle from him. Of He basically moved Cucho out left. They tell me he floated, but if you watch that first half, he floated 
from left to further left for most of it. So fair. Uh, and then Zellerion filled in centrally and scored two goals. And I, I don't think that's always how he's going to use Cucho. The point is he's creative in his ideas. The players are bought in and they had fun. And that's one of the things we've heard about the Caleb Porter error, which was players were more scared to make mistakes and rigid than they were expressing themselves and enjoying themselves over the end of last season. And that's not what it looked like at all in this game. You've got, you know, Zellerion, Cruyff turn in the box under pressure and then curling a shot to the far post and going off and celebrating. Like, I think players like doing stuff like that. And it was fun and they have good players. And when good players play well, it's really entertaining. Goss, who is the they that told you that Cucho didn't float? Mm. No, I'm I world? yeah, I'm the one who said they didn't float. People in Columbus that I was talking to. Goss knows people, Taylor. Goss knows people. Goss knows people the world over. That's you're what trying I'm to work my sources right now. I mean, maybe a little bit. I'm you got food just... wrecks if you go to Columbus too. Columbus is a good city. Columbus is an underrated. <laughs> Columbus is the most underrated MLS city. I think. I love. I love this recurring segment that's popping up of Goss just says thumbs up or thumbs down to your entire city. Yeah. I can't wait for next week. I'm. I'm. I'm so. I'm so stoked. I. I agree, and now I want to know. Like, I just want to do an episode where we we just say cities, and Goss gives us thumbs Let's up, thumbs it. down for whatever reason it may be. I'm here for it. It's what I do. <laughs> uh, this is the Condé Nast yeah. section of the. Uh... <laughs> let's let's uh, let's do Newark, and then see how Alexis feels about your uh, summary of Newark. Listen, uh, instead I'm a of doing fan. that. <laughs> I figured you would be. Uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty excited for Columbus. Uh, I previewed them uh, in our Eastern Conference preview. I previewed Montreal as well. Uh, and I felt like we we would get to see what Wilfred Nancy can do with just a better situation. And it seems like that is exactly what we're seeing is him get the best out of this team so far. Early days. But uh, like I think in my preview, I quoted Doyle and said, what this feels like to me is a bet on Nancy's ability to develop the talent already in the roster what he did best in Montreal after all. It seems like that's something that he is doing with Columbus already, and and the vibes are strong. So, positive uh, feelings about a few different teams. One more thing I would like to know you all's positivity on would be the start of the CONCACAF Champions League. We're recording this Tuesday, March 7th. So we've we've got um, Violette uh, versus Austin, Tigres versus Orlando, and Alianza versus Philly tonight. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, March 8th. Uh, the only MLS team in action would be Vancouver versus Real España. You've also got Olympia versus Atlas, and uh, I cannot read my own handwriting. Somebody versus Leon. Uh, I forget who that would be, but it starts Taro with FC, Taylor. Thank Taro you. <laughs> I thought it said Tomo, and I was confused. And then March 9th, uh, Motaga versus Pachuca, and then Alajuelense versus LAFC. Gentlemen, let's look at the matches tonight for a moment, uh, those three games. Which team are you most excited to watch in the CCL this season? It's, I mean, it's, it's got to be Orlando of these three. Like, if, if we're limiting it to these three, because the real answer is none of these three. Actually, Philly and LAFC are my two picks, because I think they're the two best MLS teams in here. I forgot that Philly were playing today. It's, it's Orlando versus Tigres as the best matchup of, of the day for sure. Orlando rotated hard over the weekend against Cincinnati, still got a point at home which was a good result for them, given the context that they have now in CCL. I think they have the hardest route to making a deep run in this competition of any MLS team. And you know what? Orlando have looked rough at times in MLS this season. Can their stars really come out and show it against Tigres, who are always one of the favorites in this competition? It's a brutal opening draw. But from a matchup perspective, that is hands down the biggest game of the day and the one that I'm most excited to watch. 
as a neutral, like I am, who roots for every MLS team in CCL, um, I have nothing to lose in Orlando Tigris because I have no expectations. But if it's 0-0 in the 15th minute, my heart is going to go through the roof. It's happening. They're going to do it. And I am all in for that matchup. That is the most MLS CCL experience because it's going to be soul crushing. It's going to be Gignac off the bench in the 87th minute. And everyone's going to be like, of course. And I'm going to be secretly like, no, look at the XG. They actually played pretty well. They actually held the ball between the 55th and 57th minute. Um, so that's the one that I'm most excited for because I, you know, I'll feel like I'm at home in that entire experience. Uh, but I think Austin's the really interesting one. Like, can they play their soccer at the continental level? They showed they could do it in MLS. High posi- they, they are an outlier in possession in Major League Soccer. They are an outlier of a team in the way they play. Can they do it in this competition? Can they do it on these surfaces? Can they do it after this travel, midweek, all those things? I think that's going to be a real learning experience. Can I ask, are you guys MLS for CCL people? Do you even care? Does it matter? Taylor, where do you fall? Uh, yeah, I'm 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 uh, MLS all the way. I, I will root for an MLS team in it. I yeah, I don't think I have too many like person like too much personal enmity for any team. Certainly, none of the teams involved. I, I think because of my previews, I'm pretty hyped. Even though it has not gone well so far for Vancouver, uh, so seeing them involved, I want to see what they can do. Uh, but yeah, I think I will. I will generally pull for MLS teams. Uh, regardless of my own rooting interest, because I like seeing teams in the league do better, and I like seeing them not get embarrassed in the first round. I don't think that many teams are going to be knocked out. Uh, I think Orlando do have their hands full with Tigres, but I-, I think it's always fun to watch MLS teams go up against continental opposition and see how they do and see if they're able to play their game, as you said there, Goss, to see if Austin can sort of figure some things out, because not the strongest of starts, not the worst of starts, but I think they've definitely got some work to do just in the chemistry department, uh, especially with uh, Zardes and Triussi. So like, this is another opportunity to make something work, to make something click. So I, I think there's compelling narratives, but also just broadly speaking, I like MLS teams doing well. I'm uh, I'm also wearing the Rob Lowe MLS hat. Yeah, I know that was that <laughs> boy. Hat. Actually, boy. actually, really, I saw. So uh, I don't I don't know if either one of you two have Be Real, uh, but it's it's an app that you sort of go through and, and you take a picture when it tells you to. Right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw Ari Lijinwal, who works for MLS and, and is a friend of mine. He is an MLS crew neck, like an MLS branded crew neck. And I haven't texted him yet, but it is sick. Like, it's actually cool. I would wear that. I wouldn't really wear the MLS hat, but I would wear the MLS branded crew neck. It's just got the, the MLS logo in white, and then the rest of it is black. And I thought it was so cool. So I'm really jonesing for that somewhere. I don't know where I can find it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hunt it down. I will say, I, I still am wearing that because Seattle won last year for the first time an MLS team winning CCL in its current form. You know, that's the beginning, right? We always should have been thinking about that as the beginning of MLS teams establishing themselves at this level. You know, they still haven't proven that over the course of of a couple of seasons or over the course of, you know, between now and the future, right? They still haven't proven they can regularly hang with Liga Mekis teams. We've seen it in spurts in the past. We saw it in a in a much larger way last year for Seattle. But like for MLS to continue to grow and prove itself in this region and become one of the bigger leagues in the world. They have to be the best league in their region, and and they're still not, right? And and Mm. success in CCL this year will not change that, but every time you go out there and have a good performance against a Liga MX team, every time you go out there and win a tournament like this or show well in a tournament like this, toss in Leagues Cup, even though all the the advantages really are in MLS's favor in that between numbers and where the games are being played and the scheduling, it really does tip the scales. 
But I mean, you have to continue to show that you are able to compete in competitions like this. Like this, MLS still has not done that, but it seems like we're in the beginning stages of them starting to do it more. And for that reason, and because like like Goss and I guess Taylor, you have more of an MLS team than than Goss and I do. Like I don't have a team. I don't have. I don't really care like which MLS team it is I there's some teams that I enjoy watching more than others but I don't have any ill will against any teams I don't love any of these teams I want to see soccer in this country continue to grow and it seems to me that despite how small the audience is for CCL relative to other champions leagues around the world like this is still a solid platform to go out there and show that you are growing I think also my my other little thing, sorry, guys, real quick, is is that, as I said previously, I have frustrations with the number of teams making the playoffs and how it feels like the regular season doesn't matter, at least doesn't matter for a while. And so you can get rid of players and sort of figure some things out. You sign a few in the summer and then away you go. So I think any competition that sort of makes teams have to care right away and Mm -hmm. makes them into competition mode right away. Like Orlando resting players this weekend, I think we're going to get a full-strength Orlando really going for it in this game. And I think anything that makes those teams sort of come out and be competitive to the max is always going to pull me in a bit more than, uh, give it like until week eight, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, there's drama in that cup competition. Um, Joe, here is my promise to you, because I forgot to tell you this. If we are both at, and we should be, and Taylor should be there too at the MLS All Star Game in DC. I will hand deliver you swag. I I yes. heard that you have not acquired the proper MLS swag. I'm I got it flowing right now. I promise you, hand delivery of swag. Maybe we'll make it a full ceremony so wow. people can see it happen. That you are anointed with said stuff. We all get well, day what made, are we- day made, year made. Let's go, Goss. You're a legend. So that's going to be an unopened room temperature Heineken and an MLS T-shirt. Is that is that what we're getting? Is there, are there going to be towels? What what else? What's the other? MLS there's a swag? decent chance there's like small towels. Maybe a koozie could be Ooh. thrown in there. Ooh. Um, we might stumble upon a bottle opener at some point, but I can promise you this: the shirt will have unusually large tags. Yep, and it will be uncomfortable. Good. Checks all the boxes for swag, baby. I mean, if it's not, if it doesn't have those things, I don't even want it, right? It's not swag. It doesn't feel right. I, uh, I'm there. DC, let's make it happen. Gus, I still have my. Were you at All Star in Orlando a couple years ago? Yeah. Do you still have your giant round purple towel that they gave out? Because that's my daughter's go-to towel these days. I, I do not have that it's, towel. It's, it is the size of a bed. It could be a bed sheet, and it's round like the soccer ball they used. So sometimes, Joe, you get super meaningful and really usable swag. Other times you get a giant round towel that hey, you hold hey, on to for reasons. That towel is meaningful to Revy. It's meaningful to your not only wrong. spawn. You're so not I'm wrong. not really like I don't understand what else you're looking for here. I, I also have a very like green beige MLS fleece. I'm not sure where that one came from. Somewhere where it was probably cold. One of the games I attended. So All, Joe, I think we, we can get you a blanket as well. I'm sure we'll find a way to make that. I, I have never bought a rain jacket as an adult. The only <laughs> rain jackets I own are free MLS giveaway rain jackets. And they have a unique thing in which they are not rainproof, waterproof. They are water resistant, which means if it rains a lot, you're getting wet, which is <laughs> yeah. the perfect thing you want from a rain jacket. Uh, well, I appreciate your promises of swag, uh, David Goss. I'm sure Joe Lowry does as well. I appreciate yes. both of you taking the time to talk some MLS with me today. Uh, and I, I think we got your answers, Joe. So you're leaning Tigres Orlando uh, for this evening. Yeah, for uh, sure. Goss, would that be the same for you? In terms of the one I'm most excited for, yes. Not in terms of the team I think will win. Um, I will throw out 
LAFC Alapalense, mm-hmm. that's not a gimme. Uh, people have done this before with MLS Costa Rican teams. I'm pretty sure Alapalense knocked DC United out at the Maryland Soccerplex one How year. How dare you? How dare you? Yeah. Um, this is an Alapalense team that's first in Costa Rica. Celso Borges, Giancolo Gonzalez, Alex Lopez. This uh-huh. is a big team. They're going to sell out that stadium. It's going to be loud. It's going to be intimidating. They play good soccer. Um, so I think that one will be fascinating to watch. And I think as an MLS for CCL person will be a bit worrying. If St. Louis make it next year and they're in the competition and they make it to the final, gosh, is that when we will see Nelly finally perform? That might be big enough for him. Okay. That's that's the ticket he needs. Okay, and if that Nelly, happens, Nelly is basically that eagle that LAFC uses. He's the human version of the eagle, so he comes out when it's a big moment. I think if there's no, if if you're not going to take anything else away from the show, take away that Nelly is a human eagle. Uh, also, David Goss saying it well. Also, if a St. Louis player doesn't have like the band aid put on as a gold <laughs> celebration throughout this season, <laughs> then they don't. What care. are what are we even yeah. doing? <laughs> Uh, Joe, your thoughts on Nelly uh, and all things St. Louis? <laughs> I mean, I, I was going to touch on the Band-Aid for a minute. I think yeah. the, the positioning of the Band-Aid application is mm-hmm. important and, mm-hmm. and can show a lot of reverence for Absolutely. whatever reference is being made here. Um, so I just have my eyes on the Band-Aid and exactly which like which eye is it going to be under? What kind of Band-Aid are we looking at? Are we talking trucks? Are we talking cars? Are we talking flowers? <laughs> There's a lot of different ways to go with this. That is a phenomenal answer. I regret throwing and making this episode go even longer than it already has. Joe Lowry, thank you for that answer and all the other knowledge you brought today. Oh, thank you, Taylor. And David Goss, the same to you, my friend. Thank you, and thank you to everyone in the total soccer world who, you know, congratulated me on joining things and have been really nice over the last week. You are appreciated. Yeah. Oh, that's very kind of you. Uh, I'll, I'll say on their behalf, we appreciate them too. We appreciate them listening and we hope they will continue to do so for the rest of the week. Until then, talk to you soon.